How to forgive when you can't forget is the topic we're going to be speaking about. This program is dedicated by Mark and Rebecca Belinsky in loving memory of Nochem Chaim Ben Menachem Mendel, Oliver Sholem, whose yard site is on the 28th of Tevet. One of the most challenging issues in life is our memory. So though memory, of course, is a beautiful thing, and we all would love to remember good memories only, but life is filled with its valleys and uh, mountains, its ups and downs, its twists and turns, and that also includes not such positive memories. And often, things that have hurt us in life can remain and haunt us. They become etched almost in our psyches, and we can't seem to dislodge its effect on us. We may have been insulted, we may have been abused, we may have been hurt in other different, different ways, and it remains a force to contend with, to the point that it can actually demoralize us and destabilize us and affect every aspect of your life. God knows almost all of us have suffered at times with a certain obsession especially when the wound is open or it's opened, and especially when it comes from our childhoods. Now, of course, we have to distinguish between real hurt and assumed hurt or imaginary hurt. Sometimes we're hurt by things we shouldn't be hurt by. Either we misunderstood or we were oversensitive or we overreacted. So obviously that goes into the equation, but it's still our reality. Like... I always tell people who share with me, I say, even if another person may not have been hurt by what you've been hurt, I'm not, we're not here to invalidate your feelings. Your feelings matter. So perhaps you have to expand your horizons, perhaps there has to be a level of growth and maturity, but still we never want to invalidate and dismiss someone's feelings. At the same time, in a loving and caring and trust-cultivating way, you want to also distinguish between real, real pain, meaning real things that really deserve to have impact, and those that, have, that don't deserve it. So we'll talk about both of them, because when you're dealing with the issues of for, not being able to forget something, it could be something that was big, could be something that was smaller. And we have to address, on all, address it on all levels. Let me begin with just a, a case study. A while back, a fellow came to me, and he grew up in a, I would say, a, somewhat of a volatile home. Some would call it dysfunctional. But it was definitely not something consistent and stable. And in his words, he says, we grew up in a home where was, things were unpredictable. My father was a very angry man. He would also drink. He would come home, and no one knew what, what, what his mood would be in. So we would tremble. Sometimes it was beautiful, and sometimes it wasn't. Frankly, he said, I wish it was always not, because then I could rely and know that he's always going to be consistently, consistently unreliable. The problem was there were so many loving times, but then there weren't. And some of the things he said and some of the ways he acted left a deep scar on me and on my siblings. It affects me today in relationships, in my own self-confidence, 
And this is something which is quite common. And no one should ever feel guilty that that happened. Because as children, we're impressionable. As the example I often use, warm balls of wax. Everything that happens in your life leaves, etches a scar. It could be a positive effect, but it could also be a negative one. And as it etches it, and the, so the wax hardens as we mature, it becomes part of who we are. So to feel guilty or to feel regretful or feel even blame yourself for things that happened to you that you had no control over, you were an impressionable young child, like that warm bowl of wax. So let's first eliminate the need for any guilt. Well, I know just saying it doesn't just eliminate it, but that's the focus and the meditation we need to apply to understand that what happened to you is not you. You're not defined by your experiences and definitely not defined by your negative experiences. And yet it's part of who we are, especially that. So going on back to the story. Now he would come to my classes and he's a very sensitive soul. Did he become more sensitive because his antenna went up due to, his, uh, to the, the hurt? Perhaps. But regardless, I saw him as a very sensitive and loving type of person. But with a lot of inhibitions and fears and phobias due to his experiences. He never, he always second-guessed. He never allowed himself to just free abandon. That comes with exploration, with a vote of confidence, with courage, with the nurture that comes as a result of nurturing and so on. So the work we laid out that, that, that I had laid out for him was the following. You have to first of all identify that there's a part of you, your soul, that was not affected by this. It may be inaccessible right now to you, or you may not think it's accessible, but it's still there. Secondly, as I just said earlier, you're not defined, therefore, by your experiences. But he could not get out of his mind. That's called not, not being able to forget these things. It would be great, he said, if I can just erase it. But some things you can't erase. You can distract yourself. You can be busy with other things. So there are more resources, which we're going to be speaking about, that are not just trying to get rid of or at least obliterate the memory or somewhat, uh, somewhat drown it out with other positive activities, which is all legitimate. But we're going to talk about other things that you can do, even despite the fact that you may not forget. How to forgive when you can't forget. Now, at times I've given talks on the topic the other way around. How to forget when you can't forgive. Things that are unforgivable, and yet you still want them pushed away. So I'm focusing more on the former than on the latter, but they obviously overlap. So what are the dynamics that we're talking about here? What's going on? The dynamics are that, number one, experiences have become part of your psyche, part of your consciousness. And they affect you. They affect you all the time. And you don't want them to. You don't want to be defined. You don't want to be haunted. You don't want to be clouded by them. Judgment and so on. And there's the things that consciously we've, uh, that affect us and even worse and deeper are the things that we don't consciously experience. So, the good news is, in this individual study I was talking about, this individual case that I mentioned, that because he had other strengths, and we worked on those strengths, we were able to get to a point where he could detach himself from the memory. And forgiveness is one of the key tools in doing so. So that doesn't mean you're erasing the memory. 
you become detached from it. And once you become detached, it has less impact on your life. And obviously, if you can do something that will just get rid of the memory in a healthy way, either because it wasn't such a significant, by all means. But obviously, we're talking about things that are sometimes deeper than that. And I go back to what I said earlier. Even though objectively it may not be something that would impact another, but for you, it's your wound. It's your scar. It's your pain. And pain should never be dismissed. <clears throat> At the same time, we need to know how to transcend it. Because if you obsess with it, even to heal from it, that can also become a haunting factor. That you're working on getting rid of that pain. And sometimes the approach is, as we're going to discuss, is to go beyond and above it. So, I spoke about forgetting and not forgetting, and now I'm going to speak about forgiveness because I think the analysis that we need to dissect here is what is actually forget, not forgetting something and what does it mean to forgive or not forgive. So forgetfulness, just a few more words on that topic. What's the, what's the contrast of forgetting? Is um, remembering. Now, there are things that we find difficult because, as I said, it becomes part of our experiences. I mean, how often in this individual case I was mentioning, how often does that happen? that you're in the middle of, let's say, you're dating someone. You're in the middle of some emotional relationship in some way or another. And then these haunting feelings emerge. They re-emerge. Re-emerge, you're not good enough. Was the other person thinking about me? You become insecure, fearful, due to the unpredictability, you're not in control. You know what I'm talking about? That's why I mentioned emotional interactions. Obviously, deeper ones, become more, more profound and more acute. So all that becomes, why? Because the, the memory that's inside, etched inside of your psyche is there. And it's not, it's not you know, I can't remove it. Now what about forgetfulness? What, is, what does forgiveness mean? So the word in Hebrew for forgiveness is mochal, mechila. That's where you'll find the prayers on the Day of Forgiveness, which is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. you find that re- the word re- re- referenced quite often. Mechalonu, mochal, mechila, yom slicho, mechila. Forgiveness. To forgive and be forgiven. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness, as I said, the word mochal comes from another root. There's another word that has that word mochal in Hebrew. You know what it is? Circle. A mochal is a circle. What's the connection? The connection is a very interesting one and powerful one. What is a circle? A circle is a connected and seamless flow. When you have a complete circle, that circle surrounds whatever is inside that circle and protects it, like a protective wall. In that sense, a circle is like a nurturing element. Let's talk psychologically. It encompasses you. It engulfs you. Like a fish in water is encircled, completely submerged within its life source called water. When a child, a fetus, is submerged in the embryonic waters of its mother's womb, it's nurtured. It's surrounded like a circle. Break that circle, God forbid, and there's a breach. And unwanted and even toxic forces can enter. 
Just like the breach of a wall, just like the breach of any circle. Think of your skin and your, and your hair that covers your body, your outer epidermis and skin. It protects from a lot of bacteria and infections to enter. If there's, God forbid, a crack, something could, something could enter that is, is, is undesirable. So circle represents a nurturing element. And the interesting things, you could also say a square does, a box does. But the circle has one element. It doesn't have edges. A circle is it's a symbol of infinity. Where's the top? Where's the bottom? Where's the right? Where's the left? Yes, you can place it, but you can turn it and you won't even know what's the top. A perfect circle is equanimous. Whereas a square, though it also has an element of enclosure... But it doesn't have that type of uh, uh, equal type of, what I would say, equal, um, in some, uh, engulfing you in an entirely full, uh, equal way from all directions. As a matter of fact, in the Kabbalistic teachings, the Arizal, Isaac Luria, when he talks about, Rabbi Isaac Luria talks about the great symptom, the secret of the initial contraction, initial concealment of the divine consciousness in order to allow for another to emerge, talks specifically about this. That is that concealment like a circle or like a square? And explains that it's like a circle because then everything is equal. If it's like a square, if you're in the center, you're more distant from one corner than from the top. Whereas in a circle, the center, whatever's inside the circle is equally distant from that. Now that, when I say distance, also equally close. Which means it's completely nurturing. If you think of the embryo that I mentioned, or you think of water, you much more think much more in terms of circular protection, so to speak, circular type of um, nurturing as opposed to square type. I once wrote about this, uh, can, a, can a square marry a circle? That in the Hebrew alphabet, you'll find two letters that, that is like a square, the mem, the shlos mem. The mem, the second letter of the mem, is like a square, and the samach is like a circle. Here's not the place to go into. The point I wanted to make is that the word mechila, mochal, comes from the word circle. So it's a nurturing circle. In a healthy home and healthy environment, you grow up in your circle. What's who's your circle? Your circle is your family, your circle of friends, at school. Whatever your support system is, is like your circle. And you hear that expression used, your circle. When things are going well, that circle is not breached. It's a complete circle. You can rely on it. When children go to sleep at night and they know where their bed is, they know what time, and they know there's parents in the home and things are reliable and secure, their circle is a complete circle. And if you think about your own childhood or your own experiences, you can, you can visualize it even. Close your eyes and think of the circle in which I was encompassed like a certain coziness, comfort, in a beautiful way. Going back to the case study, which I'm referring to here and there throughout this discussion, his circle was broken. When he mentioned something interesting, that when he was around nine years old, his family decided to move. And not for necessarily good reasons. The disruption, even of the, there was enough disruption as it was, but the disruption now even of the basics, like new school, new community, new streets, new bed. These things don't underestimate the impact that has on our children. People think, you know, they're very, first of they're very, um, what's the word I want, resilient, and therefore just move. No, these things have impact. 
Thought has to be given to it, and you have to prepare. Don't assume that every one of your children is just going to easily adjust. Yes, children are quite resilient. They're quite flexible. They yield. They're like softer, as I mentioned, softer wax, like a soft reed. It yields in the wind, as opposed to a, a very tough cedar wood or other tree that is very rigid. It could be strong, but it could be broken. But at the same time, security is a big one. The circle, they need their circle. All of us need our circle. When there's any form of dysfunctionality, abuse, violation of our boundaries, think of the word, violation of a boundary, it's someone breached your circle. There was a breach. That has impact. And that impact is the broken circle. Now, some of us have one break, some have many breaks. Some have difficulty even defining a circle in their lives. Like, there's no, never consistency. Obviously, every person has to fill in the blanks, every one of us, to figure out where we stand in that, because we all have different types of circles. Does anyone have a perfect circle? Listen, we live in a life, in a world, where there is no perfection in that sense. However, however, some of us have more complete circles, some less are complete. But when you think of it that way, then what happens? So when you're hurt, there's a breach. What do you do? You want to close the breach. You want to close the schism. You want to get back to that consistency of that circle, of that protection, of that nurturing, of that reliability, something you can trust. There's an opening, you don't know where that opening will give and how it will affect you. What will come in, what will go out, what will seep out. I don't want to use any extreme examples in medical terms and so on, but we know when something, let's say the embryonic sac, if there's, God forbid, a little breach, it can be quite uh, dangerous, if not outright fatal. So we, how do we, we build a circle that's been broken? Hence comes the second meaning in the word circle, forgiveness. Because you could say, you know what, once it's broken, it's broken. You can't fix it again. Humpty Dumpty cannot be put together again once it's been shattered. The answer is it can. It can. You know why? Going back to the point I make, which I'll elaborate upon now. Because you're not defined by your breaches. You're defined by your circles. You're not defined by the disappointments and the violations and the betrayals. You're defined by the healthy nurturing, the validation, the love, the dignity of your soul. And because you have that, even if there's been a breach, that doesn't mean that which is in the circle has been destroyed, God forbid. It just means it's become vulnerable. It's become exposed. And you want to, just like there's a breach in the skin, you need to close it. And of course, clean it out. Forgiveness is a tremendous gift given to us. That though we're mortal human beings, and it would seem like the arrow of time only flows one way. So here, you are in a very good place. You've been hurt in a serious way you cannot forget, and therefore you cannot forgive. No. Because you're defined by the events, by the soul, who you are, before all these events happened, when you access that, you can learn to forgive even if you don't forget. You learn to fix the breach. In other words, you learn new ways to nurture and to close the gap and find love that will allow you to feel protected again and therefore be able to trust again. And I must repeat this. There are different levels and variations of the, extre- of the extreme of the extent of this breach and the work that's necessary to close it, but every one of us can create that. So forgiveness is a gift. It's not just an obligation. Say, you know what? You can't forget, but you must forgive. For Yom Kippur or someone asks you for forgiveness, 
You can't allow that person to control the rest of your life. Yes, that's true. But forgiveness is also a gift. It's a tool. It's a resource. And that changes the whole picture. It's a resource. So you're doing yourself injustice if you don't access your own resources. It would be like saying, I'm not going to use my mind. Why? Because I was manipulated. I'm not going to use my heart. I'm just going to lock myself up. I'm going to tie my... I'm going to just refrain. I'm going to um, tie myself, tie, tie, not actualize my tools. No, this is a tool. Forgiveness touches the deepest part of you that transcends all that, all the hurt. So it's not just forgiveness making. A lot of people say, I don't want to forgive. If I forgive, he'll think he was right. Like that, they'll tell the story about these two men now sitting in a nursing home in their 90s. But they were friends for many years, partners. Neighbors. And then something happened, whatever it is. Nonsense. You know how it grows. It starts with nonsense and then it grows into a whole monster. They don't talk to each other. Their families come visit them. They say, you loved each other for years. You're not going to live forever. Just make up. And one guy says, no, because if I speak to him, he's going to think he was right. Now what's happening here? You're allowing the breach to control your life. I remember I was touched very much by something that happened a number of years ago, almost 15 years ago. There were two people I knew in my life that were very close friends. They'd worked together. They really cared about each other. And then there was something happened where one felt the other had wronged him, actually wronged his family, not so much him. He felt loyal to his family, so he cut off, didn't talk anymore. Now, I was invited to this individual's 70th birthday, the first person. And I uh, drive up, I remember, it was in Manhattan. I'm parking, and I get in my car, I see this fellow. And he hasn't spoken to this old friend of his for two years at least. And I meet him, and it was just a small exchange. He says to me, you know, he didn't, I didn't even ask, he just said to me, we were friends for 30 years, maybe, no, even more, probably 40 years. <coughs> May even be more. Yes, some things are disagreements we have, but I shouldn't come to his 70th birthday. No one lives forever. Am I going to allow that to overshadow all the years of our friendship? And I found it just, a, I don't know, it just brought me to, to tears. I found it to be a, uh, uh, of course, this one's a mensch. He transcended it. He could have just been obsessed and said, okay, you know what, 40 years, and now you hurt me, and that's it, I'm out of here. I don't know, I didn't ask him, did you forgive? I just listened and I respected what he had said. I'm not going to analyze it and dissect it and, and grill him and so on. But I saw a person who transcended and I saw this man has character, personality. He's able to transcend. He probably still has his grievances. Didn't completely get rid of them, but didn't allow it to affect his trajectory and his relationship. And you find other ways. And you may know what? You may agree to disagree as well. What happened, what are the dynamics of that? What happened was he, re, he closed the circle that was breached. We're not even getting into who's to blame. It's not about principle. He closed the circle and he's able to then re-embrace, recreate that which was there in the first place. So forgiveness is a very profound tool. You know, recently, in the last few years, gratitude has been out there as being one of the healing elements. People who are grateful, live longer, have healthy relationships, more self-actualization, more success, more happiness. And it's true. But forgiveness, maybe that will be the next fad. I don't like to say fad, maybe not the right word. 
But forgiveness should also not be underestimated. It has its own power of healing. So gratitude has its, and forgiveness. they may even overlap to some extent, but we're not doing it to be grateful and gratitude. We're doing it to reach the circle of our lives. So forgiveness, in a way, is as much for you as it is for the person you're forgiving. Not only getting... And remember, forgiveness is not just absolving someone of their crimes. It's about freeing yourself, which, in other words, is closing your circle, reclosing it once the circle has been breached. This is the key. People who have difficulty finding love or maintaining love, trust, and everything that comes with good, healthy love is often due to the fact that their love was somewhat compromised or contaminated or toxified, whatever word you want to use. And often that becomes their life, their, their legacy. And it affects their relationships and affects generational. Comes forgiveness and says, look, this may be the most, unforg- un- un- most, most terrible thing that was done to you. You may never forget it, but you can forgive because you can rise to a place that you are transcendent of it and allow yourself to re-enter a zone of protection. Because as long as you live with and are haunted by someone hurting you, what does that mean? That's an, another person can hurt you. I've been hurt. I've been vulnerable. I, allowed my, I let my guard down and I allowed, I allowed myself to be hurt. That's the attitude. And it's almost a knee-jerk reaction. It's like someone who has a wound. They got injured and they have a wound on their foot. So they're careful when they start walking and they're walking well. They're always like a somewhat tentative. Obviously, you have to be prudent and be, and be careful to not re-injure yourself. But if you're going to live a life constantly fearful that it will happen again or because, you're more, because that's an area where you're more fragile, you're giving up on so much of yourself. So the key thing to remember is you are not your experiences. They may have shaped you, but you're not the sum total of your experiences because you're a pure soul that that precedes, I should say, and therefore transcends everything that has happened to you. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened. The forgiveness, therefore, is not just forgiving that person of the hook. You know what? You don't have to worry about it. I forgave you. It's really forgiving yourself. It's really allowing yourself not to become part of the equation. Because frankly, even if that person did not ask for forgiveness properly and may have asked but does not so sincere, you still don't want to live with that. You're going to obsess, you know what, I don't know if he's really sincere. Did he really suffer enough? Should I forgive? The point here is not the forgiveness of that person. There are conditions. Obviously, if a person is just paying lip service, they don't really mean it. So yeah, you, you have a right not to forgive them, but I'm talking about a deeper level of forgiveness, the circle. You want your circle back. You want your life back. And you find very often, and I go back to the case study, that then comes a prog- when the progress is made, you know what the, one of the first steps of progress is? is not everything is clean. Not everything is clean. Is you feel a certain element of freedom, that you're freed from it. Because even whether... Amends were made. Forgiveness was asked. You're not free. It bothers you. And there's a certain freedom. It's almost a release. Because your circle is now intact again. Your life is intact. You don't want other forces that breached your circle, that in any way compromised it, to continue to impact you. That's the key here. 
So let's say you could even, I don't want to even mention the word lobotomy, but let's say a psychological lobotomy, you could just erase it from your hard drive. Okay, no one's come up with a way of doing that without any side effects. But that's not the goal. The goal is much greater that it's happened, and it's part of my memory somewhere, and, and times it'll be, it'll, it'll resurface, resurface and affect me. But I am risen to a place that I can forgive, meaning I can free myself. I'm not defined by it. I'm not an extension of it. It's not the force that's defining my decisions. When you get to there, then it becomes a distant memory. Because what you've done is you've accessed a part of yourself that preceded these events, whatever hurtful ones they were, and more importantly, continue into the future. You've accessed a part of you that's a deeper part of you that may not have surfaced had you not been hurt. Because you hadn't been hurt, it would have been remained. Okay, things are sort of rolling smoothly. The hurt, the pain, caused you to dig deeper. And that is empowering. But you'll hear very often people say, I feel empowered. It, does, it doesn't mean I haven't been hurt. But I feel I'm taking, regaining control. And that leads me to a very key point here. Control. When a person is hurt, is a loss of control, and that is extremely demoralizing, because we we feel I want to control my destiny. Who are you to come and change my course, my trajectory, my course in life? And there's a tremendous amount of fury and anger when that happens. You may not be so conscious of it, but it's there. When you forgive, meaning you release, you're back in control. You're back in the driver's seat, because now. You're controlling what you're going to do tomorrow, not what happened to you is controlling it. Especially if that person remains abusive and remains a source of, uh, of, of agony. So there we have a very powerful tool called forgiveness, the circle. Building your circle, rebuilding your circle. And stronger than it ever was. A home is your circle. Your hearth is your circle. The people that love you are your circle. Today, you find very many people, they say, I don't really have a home. I have a roof over my head. But I come home, it's like a battle zone, or it's empty and dead, not alive. I need to go out to a party. What you're doing is, what about your nest? Your nest is not intact. Your circle is not intact. So people have found alternatives. Some people find it online. Some people find it in different addictions. Some people find it in partying, and always being uh, going away, out, out of their circles, and creating an illusion of a instant gratification. I have my circle for the night. Where you stand all depends on how aware you are, and how aware you want to be. Many people are not aware, but people think, I'm fine, I'm perfectly fine. You dig a little deeper, I'm not saying you have to, but if you cared, you dug a little deeper, oh, one second here. Fine, there's so much more going on. How much of your potential have you given up on? Have you betrayed yourself? So my friends, you see that forgiveness then takes on a whole new shape and dimension. There is the forgiveness that we spoke about that someone hurts you, they come, they ask for forgiveness, they're sincere, you forgive them. But I'm talking about you want to dislodge, you want to free yourself from a memory, from an experience that is not so easily to forget, easy to forget. When you see people who come out of the unspeakable Holocaust, lost family members, lost home, lost, I mean, there's no words. 
Some people you could see the anguish even if they don't speak about it. You think they'll ever forget? Of course not. It's unforgettable. The word, the nightmares. Thinking about your brother, your sister, your parents. Should not be to anyone, but real realities. How things were completely stolen. I don't mean stolen, I don't mean property. Your whole life was stolen, identity stolen. The dehumanization. I mean, and yet you see, some could not deal with the burden and their lives were miserable. And some never forgot. And I wouldn't even say they forgave. They didn't have a right and they wouldn't forgive the Nazis and the Germans. That's not the point. They forgave themselves. They forgave to free themselves from what happened to them. So that they built, and even Viktor Frankl in Logotherapy and Man's Search of Meaning, speaks no less suffering by a person who has meaning in their life. But the meaning becomes a place, a channel into that deeper level of your soul that can elicit a certain freedom, even though you went through, you endured what you endured. And when you elicit that, that gives power, that's healing. That's a healing power, true healing. Let's not underestimate it. Just like gratitude I mentioned before has healing properties and affects us, forgiveness does as well. Now, since I'm mentioning someone say, can we forgive the Nazis? First of all, can we forgive for what they did to other people? Let, let them go to them to forgive. And then there's the collective, uh, collective, collective guilt. Well, you forgive and, and, and what happens to all the six million that don't forgive? So we're not looking at to forgive them. That's not the issue here. The issue is forgive yourself to free yourself, that you can live on, that you can feel, I want to perpetuate the memory. The memory. The memory not of what happened, but the memory of those that were that perished. So you want to remember. You just don't want to remember the negative. You want to remember how this carries on, how you are carrying on with the responsibility to fill the shoes of all those that were taken. This is the healthy attitude. This is the rebuilding of a circle. And indeed... Jewish communities worldwide, world over, rebuilt. They rebuilt their circles. No one thought it possible. You know, here and there, an anomaly. But no, everywhere. Millions of people, a renaissance. Now we look back and we see it, some of us take it for granted, but you don't take such a thing for granted. This is a real study in history. This is real. And not just on the collective level, on an individual level. Where did you get that strength? The strength came, yes, exactly that from God, the soul that's connected and your mission in this world. And yes, part of it was stolen from you. Part of it was violated you. Part of it completely diminished you. Completely annihilated you. And yet the soul, the ember, the flickering ember, ud mutzel me'esh, is still the smoking ember, that even when you're completely asleep, spiritually, psychologically, have given up. I'm asleep. But my heart is awake. Because there's a, a pilot flame that's always alive. And that's what you want to access. And when you access that, you can forgive, even if you don't forget. So it remains a memory. It remains an experience. It may even remain something that shapes you till this very day. But you're not defined by it. And when you can do that, you will build a family, and you'll build a home, and you'll have children, even though you may have sworn not to. When I say you, I don't mean anybody specific. I'm talking in the personal. 
in the, in the first person? Because you've learned to transcend. You've learned that there's ways to go greater and deeper. And you don't want you and your offspring and those around you to continue perpetuating the horror story behind it all. Because there is a horror story that continues to impact. So, mochal, interesting word, circle, forgiveness. Who would even think? But when you think about it, it's beautiful. Beautiful. So a few more words about the circle. In Hebrew, I said mochal is one word. That in the future, God says, it says in the Talmud, God will make a mochal, a circle. And all the tzaddikim, the righteous, will sit there. Which explains why. Because the circle is that symbol of togetherness, of unity, of fullness, completeness. It's nurturing protection. Another word for circle is eagle. Eagle. For example, kugel. Why is a kugel called a kugel? You ever think about it? What, what's the root of it? It's ki eagle. It's a circle. I know you can make a square kugel, but it was made like a circle, like a uh, noodle pie. Or noodle pudding, whatever it's called. But it's usually circular. Ki eagle. Like an eagle, like a circle. In Kabbalah, when it talks about circles and squares, actually the word used is igulim and yesher. Iguli means circles and squares. Yesher means lines, straight lines. I'd mentioned, I talked about it years ago, the circle square, the square discussion. When we do, let's say, hakofot, when we dance, on Simchas Torah, it's in a circle. Under a wedding canopy, the circular ring, the circle, the circles that the bride makes around the groom. These are not all incidental. These are all connected to the symbol of, number one, nurturing, and number two, infinity. As I mentioned before, circles compared to a song. It never ends. You can end it, but you can continue singing it and never feel the end because it continues. Where it ends, it's connected to the beginning. Not so with words. Not so with a book. So all this adds up to a circular, I would say circular logic, no pun intended, to a circular experience. And that's the healthiest type of experience. It's protective in that sense. This may explain why in different art forms in history, in ancient art, you find a lot of circles used. You know, some say the wheel was the first and greatest invention of all. The wheel is a circle. And look what it's done. Transformed transportation, transformed work, transformed every aspect of life, the wheel. Today we talk about, in the language, the computer language of zeros and ones. A zero and a one is, ka, is an eagle and a yosha. When you talk about the Kabbalistic model, I mentioned the tzimtzum, where there's a divine, the black hole, the concealment. So it's done in a circular way. Look at our, our planets, our sun. Everything is a sphere. may not be a perfect circle, but it's circular. Why? Why are there more rectangles or squares or other uh, oblongs, other type of images? Geometric patterns? Because there's something about a circle that's most efficient. Even though I have read, this is not related, that architecturally, you know, we learn so much from nature, 
What is the most efficient use of space? And this is used in building and construction, the hexagon. And where do we learn that from? From bees, when a beehive is hexagons. Because it's the use of space. Like if you put circles together, there's always going to be extra, extra free space. You put squares together, it, it can work, but there's inefficiency. You can't get out from every direction. Hexagons are the most efficient use. But that's not a contradiction to what we're discussing because we're not looking now at efficiency in architecture. We're looking about efficiency in nurturing. The circle of your life. So, my friends, let me say this on a concluding note. I don't have words to describe that you see healthy children growing up in a healthy environment. And you see their circles. It's so, so powerful. The nurturing, the consistency. Yes, the infinity. Because the interesting thing is when you have that security, you can explore without end. And then, God forbid, you see the, the converse. You see people who are struggling, whose circle has been breached. And it's very sad to see, because as I said often, as I mentioned before, what often happens is it perpetuates. And then you, you look for friends that perpetuate your distorted view on things. And then we have the opportunity, which we have right now, to change the course of your life, which requires obviously commitment. But I've spoken a lot about the tools. Now, tools are just tools. They're tool chests. You need commitment. You need willpower. But if there is something I've said that has inspired, the goal is to translate that into action. So, in that sense, in the final analysis here, and nothing like, any, no topic like this is ever exhausted, the final analysis, my friends, is that you have a beautiful circle. You may be aware of it, and then cherish it, build it, help others become, help others join your circle, help others build their circles. And um, if you're not aware of it, know that to be the fact. It begins with your own life. Nine months you were nurtured. Even the most abusive mothers, I mean, obviously, God forbid, there's always abuse that you can even abuse your own fetus. But let's say people who psychologically, emotionally are, are, are whatever, wounded. God protects that child. It's a miracle. Now again, we all can cause damage, but on its own, it protects that child. What you need to learn is to continue that protection, continuing building that circle for your children. So for those of us that are already adults and have been broken and breached, well, it's time to look at it. Let's revisit it. Let's revisit our circles our broken circles, try to identify and take a piece of paper. What are the things in my life that are nurturing? Write your nurturing column. Be very interesting. I assure you that you're going to be thinking about it because you don't always remember right away that's things that are nurturing. Some things we remember, some things not so. <clears throat> then look at the things. Where have been the breaches? And I'm not talking about dwelling on it. We're talking about just identifying. And then say to yourself, how can I build that which I have that's nurturing me? Build on it. Because what often happens, just by not even spelling it out, the negative, the breach, the hurt, the betrayals, and so on, they dominate. That's the nature of things. They're louder. They're more aggressive. So you want to have, one, something to build upon, and the other, 
let's now work on these breaches. And that could be by getting new friends. Sometimes our old friends may be very fine people, but they can be also very stale. I don't mean, God forbid, they're stale, but I mean in our lives, you need fresh air. Secondly, make a commitment to study good deeds, prayer. The, good, the, the commitment could be to study the, this weekly class or other programs that we have. It could be something else. And with that, I mentioned MeaningfulLife.com, a full wide array of resources that talk about these matters and other matters on all levels. And I welcome you to uh, go to MeaningfulLife.com and you can find all that material. So, one circle can help another circle. You think of it, it's a chain. When you have circles that help each other, it becomes a chain. And that chain has a ripple effect. So may your circle help us and our circle help you. Maybe together build circles. And upon these circles, build even more. Bring children to this world. Bring friends, family, and whoever comes our way, our contact, into this nurturing element. The validation that each deserves, each one of us deserves. And whatever has to be done to help to help uh, heal a breach. We do that for ourselves and for our friends. Immeasurable benefits will come from it. And I would love to hear about that. So this has been Simon Jacobson, a weekly, we call Wednesday, night global class, global master class. We're here every Wednesday. Please feedback, comment, share, any feedback. And nothing greater, as I always say, of intersecting with another circle, with another circle, with other circles. Each of you is dignified. Each of you is blessed with a cherished divine dimension that nobody can take away from you. They can only enhance it. And you can enhance it in them. And that's our objective here. So everyone have a very blessed week, a nurturing, a nurturing, a circular week. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.